Today's daf is Mem Zayin and Pesachim. We are on Mem Vav Amud Bet. We are 10 lines from the bottom where we left off yesterday. Quick recap of the topic uh, the we, we had discussed. The Mishnah had gotten into the question of whether what to do with Chalat Me'ah on Yom Tov. A person is making a dough on Pesach, obviously. Yom Tov Shel Pesach, making a dough. Uh, has to separate the challah. The challah will become tamay, and then the question is, it's going to become chametz if he leaves it there. On the other hand, if he bakes it, he's baking shelolatoch yom tov. He's baking for something that he knows is not going to be uh, a uh, something that he uses on yom tov because he, let's say he's baking it now in order to prevent it from becoming chametz, but really he's going to burn it afterwards because it's challah. So it, you know. So the and even if you. Uh, and so we had a machlok and we had a discussion about what to do. So uh, Rabbi Eliezer said, look, just bake it, uh, you know, bake it all together and then se- take the piece of matzah that you're going to designate as chalan, designate it then and that's okay. And Rabbi Yoshua said, no, you shouldn't do that. You don't need to do that because what you separate for, for chalan is not really yours anyway and you shouldn't bake it because you know that it's, uh, that it's not going to be used for, uh, for Yom Tov. It's going to be burnt. So you're so you're doing a uh, a cooking action which is not justified by uh, you know by a yom tov need by definition you're going to destroy it. So the first uh, explanation the gemara had given was maybe the machloket here is about ho'il, meaning ho'il that if a person designates something for uh, as chala, since they have the option, since they could always go to get hatarat nedarim basically and remove the status of chala or truma from something that they've designated, so therefore in a way you could say it's really still mine. Now that's good and bad. That's good because that means if I bake it, even if I designated it as chalau, or even if I, you know, I, I always have the opp- I could always say on any one piece of that matzah, even after I designated it, that actually it's uh, it's still mine, and uh, you know because I could remove the status of chalau from it and then and then keep it. So that would be more permissive from the standpoint of halachot of Yom Tov, but from the standpoint of the halachot of Pesach would be worse because it would mean that really, even though I designated it as chalau, really it's mine because I could always keep it, so I can't really say it doesn't belong to me, right? So then if it becomes chametz, it'll be worse. So that's one, that's the possibility that's, uh, you know, of, of Rabbi Eliezer. What Rabbi Eliezer is saying is uh, since anything in there really could always be yours, and truthfully, even after you designate it, it could be yours. So therefore, uh, you know, therefore uh, the, uh, you, you wouldn't be a... Um, but you, since the uh, since you you could consider it yours, that's a problem for the standpoint of chametz, but it, it makes it better for the standpoint of uh, from the standpoint of baking, right? On the other hand, Rabbi Yoshua says no, we don't say that. We don't say since you could remove it, therefore it's uh, therefore it's still really yours. We don't say that. So if you designate it as chala, that's the best thing. Designate it as chala, put it aside. It's not yours. You don't have to worry that it becomes chametz. And if you did bake it, that would be worse because that would mean that you're baking shalol letzoch yom tov without any purpose on yom tov. That's the first interpretation of Rashi that appears here on the daf, on this Amud, which we saw yesterday, that, uh, that that's the machloket between them, right? And so really, according to that, Rabbi Eliezer, whether you, can, whether you designate it as chala or not wouldn't even matter, because you could always say you could remove the designation, right? So, meaning, even though in the Mishnah he says, oh, designated afterwards, really, according to him, it shouldn't matter, because you could always remove the designation afterwards and say it was yours all along, and that was not the one that you meant. Fine. But the uh, but Rashid later in the Masechet, it's a couple of dapim later, that's why I couldn't find it yesterday. I know I remembered that he uh, he says, no, no, the machloket here is not the ho'il because you could remove the status of chala. It's the ho'il question of if I do something, if I do an action of uh, an Yom Tov, which has the possibility 
of having a, you know, of serving a purpose on Yom Tov, even though I don't really intend it to, is that considered to be a valid, uh, uh, you know, is that to be acceptable on Yom Tov or not? And so later on, Rashi says that, uh, that Rabbi Eliezer says you could bake it, even though in the end he's going to remove one of them and he's going to make it halal, he could still bake all of them because it's not Isur Malachah, since each and every one has the potential that it could be the one that he keeps. So you can't really say on any one, lo- you know, that it's not his, because he didn't, dis- de- he didn't declare it in advance. And Rabbi Yoshua says, no, since we know that he's going to take at least one of them out, and he's going to make it chala, so with at least one of them, by process of elimination, at least one of them is going to be not his, and therefore he's doing at least one act of baking, which is not legitimate, and we don't say ho'il, since it's possible that, you know, any given one could be, uh, and, and, and uh, the way that Rashi says it is that it, since really he could actually take a little bit from each matzah and say, well, that's going to be the challah. So, so, you know, even though re- practically speaking, he's probably not going to do that. He's going to give him one of the matzot. It doesn't matter. Since he could say, I'm going to take a little bit from each one. So each one of the matzot that I'm baking a little bit is challah. You wouldn't uh, accept, according to Rabbi Eliezer, that therefore you could say that every matzah that he bakes is legitimate. And according to Rabbi Yoshua, no, since we know he's going to give him one in the end, it doesn't matter what he has the possibility of doing. Okay, so that's the way that Rashi explains it in the end. But either way, now the Gemara got on to this issue of Torchei Shabbat Nasim B'Yom Tov. And uh, the, the reason why the later explanation of Rashi is a little bit smoother is because it explains, um, it, you know, it, it fits better with the issue of baking on Yom Tov as being the main concern here. Right? Because then all of a sudden we got into the discussion between Rav Chizda and Rabbah. Rabbah, Rav Chizda says that if a person bakes on Yom Tov or cooks on Yom Tov, they always use the, the example of, of baking, but could be just as well cooking. If a person cooks on Yom Tov with the explicit intention that it's going to be for Shabbat, let's say it's a Friday Yom Tov, with the explicit intention it's going to be for Shabbat, uh, or, I'm sorry, Lechol, for weekday, first of all. So then, it's, according to Rav Chizda, he gets Makot for that, even though the act of Bishul is not prohibited on, Shabbat, on Yom Tov, because obviously you're allowed to cook on Yom Tov, but since he said, I'm doing it for after Yom Tov, I'm doing it for Chol, so it, 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 it's an, it, it becomes an Isur Deoraita. So an act, the same action, for, with one Kavanah of an Isur Deoraita, and with one Kavanah a Mitzvah. Okay? According to Rabbah, no. <clears throat> it's, you, there's no Makot. Why? Because Rabbah says... The, the concept of ho'il umikal'ele orchim, which is that since anything I cook on Yom Tov, even though I intend that I'm going to have it after Yom Tov, I could eat it on Yom Tov. If somebody showed up, let's say somebody shows up, all of a sudden my friends from college show up and they want to have a reunion. Well, good, because I have food that I just made. In other words, it's possible to eat it. So, it's not, so since it's possible, we just look at the, is it possible to consume that food on Yom Tov? So then it's not a violation of Yom Tov. If it's impossible, then it would be. Rav Chistah says, no, your intention matters. So if you intend for Chol, it doesn't matter that you had the possibility of eating it on Yom Tov. Okay, so then the question came up, what about Shabbat? And that's what we're going to segue into right now. What about Shabbat? A Friday Yom Tov, we cook for Shabbat, Right? Now, according to Rabbah, who says, Since if Orchim come, therefore I'm allowed to cook uh, whatever I want on a Yom Tov, technically, according to the Torah, it doesn't matter what my Kavanah is, because I could always potentially use it. So the same thing will be true when Friday falls out, when, when Yom Tov falls out on Erev Shabbat, that anything I cook, even though I know I'm doing it for Shabbat, I can't call it a violation of Yom Tov, technically, according to the Torah, because I could eat it on Yom Tov if I wanted to. Okay? According to Rav Chisda, we have a problem because Rav Chisda says that the only time you're allowed to cook is when it's explicitly for Yom Tov. And if you have kavanah for a different day, it doesn't matter that you had the potential to eat it on the day of Yom Tov. It's still going to be prohibited. So what do we do? So Rav Chisda says, no, 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 because I have another idea. Torchei Shabbat, Nasim Yom Tov. 
Shabbat is an exception. Shabbat, if you're cooking on Yom Tov for Shabbat, it's as if you were cooking on Yom Tov for Yom Tov. Okay? It's not because of the potential that you could use it for Yom Tov physically. It's because cooking for Shabbat and cooking for Yom Tov, it's the same thing. The kavanas, they both are valid kavanot. Now, why do they have to bring that in? Because of Eruv Tavshilin. Because we know that the rabbis require us to make Eruv Tavshilin. When Erev, when Erev Shabbat is a Yom Tov, we have to make Eruv Tavshilin before in order to permit us to, eat, to cook from Friday to Shabbat. They can't permit us to do something that's biblically prohibited. So there has to be a, it has to be biblically permitted. It's biblically permitted according to Rabbah because you have the potential to eat that food anyway on Yom Tov if you wanted to, even if you don't intend to. So biblically, really, it would be okay, but the rabbis want to discourage you from taking it lightly, the, you know, to, taking the Yom Tov lightly, so they, they required Eruv Tavshilin in order to do it. Rav Chisla says, no, the reason is that it's biblically permitted is because actually having Kavanah for Shabbat is biblically permitted. Not because you could use it on Yom Tov, because of the Kavanah that you have. Okay, so therefore, really it would be permitted, but the rabbis didn't want people to confuse that with when you have in mind for Tuesday instead of Shabbat. So therefore, they said, don't, uh, they said, don't, you know, without Eruv Tavshilin, you're not allowed to. Okay, so that's the basic machloket, and we're going to look at other examples, but it's important to keep in mind. According to Rabbah, the reason why it's permitted biblically to cook on Yom Tov for Shabbat is because at the moment you're cooking, you potentially could eat it. Okay, according to Rav Chizdad, the reason is because your kafana makes a difference. Whether you intend to have it afterwards or you intend to have it now. Okay? Now, we're up, that's what we're up to. says you can, let's say you have an animal that's on its last leg. Okay, it's, uh, it's, you know that it's not going to make it too much longer. You don't want the meat to go to waste. So you want to slaughter it. So, uh, you know, it already called the rabbi to come and uh, the whole thing, vidui, and, the, you know, we know that it's getting to the end. So what do you do? You say, let's quickly call the shochet and, uh, and, and you, you slaughter the animal, but it's Yom Tov. The only thing is, you don't have that much time. There's only 20 minutes left of uh, Yom Tov. How can you slaughter the animal on Yom Tov? As long as you have enough time to, to roast a kazayit of the meat on Yom Tov and be able to eat it. So then you could slaughter the animal and you don't have to lose the rest of the meat. Yacholech, right? So that's what it says. So it says, yacholechol. That's a very good source, a very good support for Rabbah. Because what did Rabbah say? He said that as long as you could use it on Yom Tov, it doesn't matter whether you're really going to use it or not. You have the ability, that's enough. So he says, According to me that I say the word ho'il, and I had the concept of ho'il, that since it's potentially usable, that's enough. I don't have to actually use it. Ho'il mechal, since he has the potential to eat if he wants to, matziachil, He's allowed to slaughter because, he's a, because he has the potential of eating it on the Yom Tov. If he wanted to, it doesn't mean he has to. Right? But according to you, my friend of Chizda, you say that this concept is not valid. So then why is he slaughtering this animal that's uh, about to die? He's not going to use it on Yom Tov, so he's slaughtering on Yom Tov for nothing then. And we're assuming, obviously, it's not Erev Shabbat. It's not, it's situ- right? The regular Yom Tov. He's wasting it. So, listen, at the end of the day, he's going to lose money here. We let him do it. What do you mean, according to you, it's biblically prohibited to do it when he knows he's not going to eat the meat. So how can we allow him to do it just to save a few bucks? It says, ah, Amalei, and Mishum, it says, eat, Mishum, yes, because Mishum have said, Mamono, Gamar Belibolechol Kazait. You're reading it wrong. It's not saying the guy didn't really eat a piece of meat. He did eat it. 
Meaning he slaughters it with enough time that he can at least take one piece of the meat and roast it and actually eat it. He has to force himself to eat it. Even though he just had a gigantic meal and he's full, he doesn't really want to eat it. But since he's actually going to eat it, but if he's not actually going to eat even a kazayit, then he wouldn't be allowed to, according to Rav Chista. There's no permission at all. Since the only way you can get a, a kazayit of basar, of, of uh, even a small amount of meat from the animal is to slaughter the whole thing. It's all or nothing. It's not like you could say, I'll just slaughter the kazayit. You have to slaughter the whole thing. So he's allowed to do the slaughtering of the whole thing because he's going to eat a kazayit, even though he does, he could barely force himself to eat it. He doesn't really want to, but he doesn't want to lose the money. So therefore he's going to eat it on Yom Tov. But if he's not going to eat it on Yom Tov at all, just the mere fact that he has the potential to eat it is not enough, according to Rav Chista. That's the point. Now, now, another objection. Lechem apanim. Lechem apanim was the bread... It's called the show bread in English. Lechem hapanim, I guess, because it has a face. It, it, it shows. I don't know. But the, right. Yeah. Is that, maybe that's why. But yeah, because it's shown. Because I'm, uh, yeah. But lechem hapanim, it means the bread with the faces because it curves. It, uh, yeah, because it has a face. Um, but they call it the show bread. But in either, in either case, the, um, the, the show bread, the lechem hapanim, was prepared on Friday, placed on the uh, shulchan in the Beit HaMikdash on Shabbat, where it was switched. The old one was taken and eaten by the Kohanim, and the new one was left there till the following Shabbat, and it stayed there for a week. Okay? Now, what happens if Erev, Yom, Erev Shabbat is a Yom Tov? What happens if you have a Rosh Hashanah two days? Uh, you know, you have uh, Thursday, Friday Rosh Hashanah, and then you have, you know, it's Wednesday is the last time that's not a Yom Tov. So that's what it says. It says, the Lechem Apanim, Nechal Tisha, sometimes it's nine days, La Asara, Sometimes it is uh, 10 days. Sometimes 11 days. Not more, not less. In other words, Friday being the day that it's baked. So the following Friday is day 8. And so then the day 9 is Shabbat. That's a normal case. If Friday is Yom Tov, then they bake it on Thursday. And then Shabbat will end up being the 10th day. And if Thursday and Friday are Yamim Tovim because it's Rosh Hashanah, which is the only two-day Yom Tov that they would ever have in the Beit HaMikdash times. So then it would be that the following Shabbat um, is the 11th day. Now, interesting, Rashi says that in a year when Rosh Hashanah falls out on Thursday and Friday, Shabbat is Yom Kippur. So actually, it wouldn't be eaten on the 11th day. It would be eaten on the 12th day because how could they eat it on the 11th day? It's Yom Kippur. So he says, no, that's not true. Interesting point that Rashi makes is that in the time of the Beit HaMikdash, it was the opposite of what we have now because what we have now is when we have Rosh Hashanah two days, really the first day is the first of Tishrei. The second day is extra. Right, but in the times of the, so, therefore, our Yom Kippur is Shabbat. It's very sharp that you, like I, I wouldn't, I would have overlooked it, right? But for us today, we go by the we go by Thursday is really the first day, right? For them, the second day was actually the real day because the only time that they had a second day of Rosh Hashanah is if the witnesses didn't come in time. So actually, the second they kept the first day like for extra precaution, and the second day was the real day. So therefore, in that case, Yom Kippur would be on Sunday, which obviously we never have nowadays, Yom Kippur on Sunday, but they would have that back then. So that's why Rashi says you could have a Thursday, Friday, Rosh Hashanah, followed by a Shabbat that was not Yom Kippur. It would have been Erev Yom Kippur in that case, in the times of the Beit HaMikdash. Interesting point that he makes, that he, you know, that he looks at every, you know, every detail, they, they work out. So but these laws, they have to keep this law in the Beit HaMikdash also, because... Which law? Which one are you talking about? It's going to talk about that. It's going to bring that question up. It's going to bring that issue up. Yes, it says, Ketzad, how does it work? Kedar kol tisha. So if you bake it at the normal time, which is Erev Shabbat, so then it will be Nefav Erev Shabbat, Nechal Shabbat, right? The Tisha. So then the ninth day will be the Shabbat. I just explained this, actually. I, I didn't realize the Gemara just did, says it out. But basically, if you did on Friday, you bake it on Friday the normal way, the ninth day will be the following Shabbat. 
החל יום טוב להיות בערב שבת, נחל לשבת לעשרה. שני ימים טובים של ראש השנה, נאכל שבת לאחד עשר. כפי שאינו דוחל לא את השבת ולא את היום טוב. So the idea is that since you can't bake the לחם הפנים on שבת או יום טוב, obviously, so obviously שבת not, but you know, uh, you can't bake it on יום טוב even, so the worst case scenario would be that you would be eaten on the 11th day, meaning that you'd have to bake it on Wednesday for it to be eaten on the following Shabbat, not that Shabbat, but the following Shabbat. Now, if you're going to say that Tzorchei Shabbat are done on Yom Tov, according to what Rav Chizda says, Rav Chizda's argument is that why is it okay to cook on Yom Tov for Shabbat? Because Tzorchei Shabbat nasim Yom Tov. Because on Yom Tov, whatever you do, if it's for the Kavanav Shabbat, it's good. So then what's the problem with making Lechem Apanim here? It's also going to be eaten on Shabbat. The whole thing is the Kohanim take the Lechem Apanim off on Shabbat and they eat it. So what's the problem then, according to, according to Rav Chizda, should be a no-brainer. They should be able to bake it even on Yom Tov. So it says, so it says, Amar Lei, he said them, Shevut Krova, Hitiru, Shevut Rechoka, Lo Hitiru. We're talking about, in other words, Rav Chizda, and, and of course the issue is that it's only, like you said, really it should be any sort of Rabbanan uh, for everyone else, right? For everyone else to bake on Yom Tov for Shabbat would be any sort of Rabbanan. So it's calling it Shevut Krova, Shevut Rechoka, meaning if it's, if it's a, uh, if the Tzorchei Shabbat Nesim B'Yom Tov was for the very next day, so then in the Bet HaMikdash, that rabbinic prohibition, they would have waived it for the next day. But in, when you bake the Lechem Apanim, it's for the following Shabbat. So since it's for the following Shabbat, it's called Shavot Rechokah. It's too far away. So even in the Bet HaMikdash, they wouldn't waive a rabbinic prohibition in that case. But the point is that he can defend himself by saying that since it's too far afield, they impose the rabbinic prohibition. It's true that actually, Torchei Shabbat Nasim B'Yom Tov, Rav Chisda will say, it's true that they could have really baked it on Yom Tov, and it wouldn't have been a problem. Biblically speaking, it would have been okay because it's for Shabbat. The only thing is that since Shabbat is too far away... It's not an immediate need. So they said, it's, you're already doing it uh, eight days ahead. Do it ten days ahead. It's, it, it's, not, a, it's not a big difference. Why is right? looking at the eating action and not the placing action? Because the eating is what allows you to bake on Yom Tov. If you want to bake a cake just to put it on the table and nobody's allowed to eat it, then you wouldn't be able to do that. Okay. Right? But yeah. But the purpose was... That, that's the required... Uh, that's the required action. Avodah. It's part of Avodah, No. Yeah, they put it, but right, but it's they right. So action is so important that. Oh, you mean why is it not why is it not allowed for the mitzvah? You're saying forget about the eating. Why is it not allowed for the mitzvah of putting it on? That's a good question, actually. You know, I I I didn't see anybody discuss that question. That's actually a really good question. Why didn't they allow it just like l'shem mitzvah? Because like for example, like you're allowed to carry a sefer Torah on Shabbat on Yom Tov for in a Rishut Arbim for the mitzvah. Why couldn't you do it for, uh, and, I, and, and presumably if you have an Eruv Tavshilin, you could move a Sefer Torah and Roshut HaRabim on Yom Tov for the sake of Shabbat. It wouldn't be a problem. Right? So what's the issue of, uh, why, couldn't, why couldn't they give as the, as the reasoning that they could bake it on Yom Tov? Because that Shabbat, which is the next day, they're going to have to put it on them. On the, that's a very good question. I want to look and see if anybody says anything about that. It's a good question. But they don't go with that. They go with the eating is the main thing. What about, according to Rabban Shimon Gamliel, who said in the name of Rabbi Shimon Ben Asagan, who was the assistant Kohen Gadol, that it does override Yom Tov. It just doesn't override Yom Atzom. It won't override Yom Kippur. Meaning if Yom Kippur falls on a Friday, they would not bake on Yom Kippur for the, uh, for the Shabbat. 
but they would do it if it was a Yom Tov, according to him. So, how will you explain that? Very simply, this is the Machloket. Very simple. According to that, it's an it's a Machloket about Durabanans, basically. According to Abu it's all about Durabanans because really, since you're doing it for the sake of Shabbat, it would be okay. But since, according to since it's too far, it's too far ahead. The eating, which apparently is the main thing, and not the mitzvah, which is a good question, right? Since the eating is so far ahead, according to the Tanakhaman, most of the Chachamim they didn't allow it. According to Rabban Shimon Gamliel's report, they did allow it because even though it's Shabbat Rechoka, even though it's a distant thing, it's for the following Shabbat. It's not for the immediate Shabbat. Since it's for Shabbat, it's good according to that. So Rav Chista will say, yeah, exactly. They're all saying that if it's for Shabbat, it's good. Okay? Yeah. Now, another case where we have advanced baking, which is the Shteyalechem of Shavuot. Interestingly, even though the Shteyalechem of Shavuot was uh, brought on Yom Tov and offered on Yom Tov, these are the two loaves that are actually chametz. They're not brought and uh, put on the Mizrach, but they're presented in the, um, in the Beit HaMikdash and Shavuot. These had to be baked beforehand, even though they were, uh, even though they were, even though it's Yom Tov. Right, even though it's Yom Tov Shavuot, they were they were baked beforehand. Ketzad, how is it now? Erev Yom Tov, nechol the Yom Tov. So if they are baked on Erev Yom Tov, which is the normal case, so then they're eaten on the Yom Tov by the Kohanim, right? If it is, uh, so that's Lishnai, that's the second day, right, from the baking. Meaning the baking is day one, and uh, and the eating is day two. Chal Yom Tov liotachal Shabbat. If Shabbat is Erev Shavuot, which sometimes happens, right? So you have Shavuot on Sunday, so then nechalod Yom Shlishi lishlosha, which is nechalod Yom Tov lishlosha. So that will be three days. In other words, because you're going to have to bake it Friday. That's day one. Shabbat is day two, which is Erev Shavuot, and then it's Shavuot. It's the third day, right? Lefisheinah docha noat Shabbat noat Yom Tov. Because in the baking of the Shteilechem of Shavuot doesn't override Shabbat and it doesn't override Yom Tov. So therefore, when you have a Shavuot that falls on Sunday, you're going to have bread that is a few days old. Now, so let's try to attack Rav Chisda again. If you're going to tell me that anything that's done for the sake of Shabbat is good for Yom Tov, right? You can do it on Yom Tov. So then, so then you have a really big problem. What is the big problem? You're telling me that if Friday is Yom Tov, according to the Torah, if Friday is Yom Tov, you could cook explicitly for Shabbat, even though it has zero possibility of eating it on Yom Tov, you're allowed to cook it for Shabbat, and it's no problem. So then why can't you bake the Shteya Lechem on Yom Tov? What's the problem? They bake the Shteya Lechem on Yom Tov, they're going to eat it on the same day. Now, what's the, what's the logistical... What will Rabbah say to it? Rabbah will say, well, the reason is because when you bake it, it's still prohibited to eat it until the korban is brought. So there's no ho'il. There's no possibility of eating it at the moment that you're doing the blacha. And he says it goes by whether you could actually use it now. And you couldn't use it now. Right? So he has a good way out. But according to Rabbi Chizdad, it says anything that has the kavanah, that it's for Shabbat, even though it's the next day, is good. How can you say the kavanah for an hour from now is not good? Right? It doesn't make sense. So, Shani Atam, so Rav Chizda will answer you and say, Damakra Lachem, because it says you're allowed to do Lachem, 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 Velon Gavoa, not for Korbanot. When did it, when are Tzorche Shabbat Nasim Biyom Tov? When are you allowed to do something now that the benefit is deferred till later? That's only for your own enjoyment that the Torah says you could do that. But for Korbanot, we don't say that. To do it ahead of time. Sounds a little bit like the opposite of what you would expect, but that's what it says. And. That answers his question also. Huh? Right. Oh, that would answer your question. That's right. Because that's only the mitzvah. That's not the benefit. Oh, that's good. Yeah. So maybe that's the answer. Yeah, there you go. See, we just had to read a few more lines. Yeah. Now, what about, again, according to Abban Shimon Gamliel's report, just like regarding the Lechem Apanim, also regarding the Shteya Lechem, he had a report from the assistant Kohen Gadol that actually they did 
they, they would uh, allow it on, on, uh, on Yom Tov to be baked. Right? He says the word lachem doesn't preclude baking these loaves on Yom Tov. It, it ex- excludes baking for non-Jews who don't celebrate or participate in the Yom Tov. Okay, so yeah, that would be the answer. Since it's only lagavoa, it's not lachem, it's only lagavoa. So that's why the, uh, that's why it, it, it would not be allowed. And so, so we have Rabbah who is perfectly consistent because he will just say that the reason why you can't do them lacha is because at that moment it's not permitted for anybody to eat until the Quran is brought and he goes with O'il. According to Rav Chizda, the no, it goes by intention, but that intention has to be related to your enjoyment. And if, the, if your enjoyment is not the focus, but it's, an, it's something else, so then it wouldn't count. Now, Shalach Leo Rav Chizda... Did they do Korbanot on Shabbat? I mean, uh... Yeah, but they didn't, they didn't uh, have to do anything preparatory besides the Korban itself. Meaning, that this is talking about baking loaves. The baking of loaves is not an avodah. The baking of loaves is only preparatory. So if the, if the shechitas, that has to be done on that day, so that's why they would do it. But if it's something which is preparatory, like uh, baking the loaves, the only exception is actually uh, is the korban ha'omer. Because their ktsirata omer is part of the mitzvah, and everything is part of the mitzvah. Here, they're all hechsher mitzvah. The only actual mitzvah is the presenting of the loaves, so the, and that's why. So, shalach le'erav chizdal uh, so Rav Chizda sent to Rabbah in, 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 a message by Rav Achaba Rav Huna, meaning he sent a messenger. I guess they, could, they couldn't get together. Uh, so he sent them a question. How could you say that your concept of Ho'il is valid? said, because Now according to you, any time there's a potential for a Mlacha, to be something legit on Yom Tov, that means that you can't get makot for it, right? Even if your intention and your purpose wasn't related to Yom Tov, it doesn't matter. We just look at what the potential is, right? So that's what you're saying. So he says, look at this Mishnah here. It says in the Mishnah, and we actually learned this Mishnah in the Sechet Makot, a person can uh, uh, plow one furrow in the ground, and he can actually end up incurring eight different makot liabilities. Why? Because first of all, he is plowing with a shor He's plowing with an ox and a donkey together. So that's mixed animal species. That's number one. Now obviously the chamor cannot be mukdash. Although I guess it could be bedekabayit. But, uh, but uh, he's using uh, animals that are sacred animals, korban. So that's another one. Right, the kilayim bakerim, and also the he's plowing mixed seeds. Now, plowing mixed seeds is not by itself a, a prohibition, but the point is that if he's plowing there, he's covering the seeds and probably helping them grow better. So that's the third prohibition. Ushviit, and it happens to be shemitah. This guy really picked the doozy of a time to do this, right? So it's also shemitah and biyom tov, and he's a kohen and a nazir, right? So he has two reasons, and it's bebet akvarot, right? A bit, a bit So he's going through a bet akvarot. And doing all these other prohibitions at the same time, and uh, therefore he can get eight lavin. Now it's interesting, and we remember in Masachet Makot there were all kinds of uh, uh, attempts to see how many uh, uh, prohibitions you could extract from a single action and all that. <coughs> but the point here is not so much that. The point here is it's saying that on plowing is going to be liable. So the question is why? So ho'il. If you hold by ho'il, so that actually makes a lot of melachot should really be permitted all the time. Because any mlacha that I could give an excuse that it's really uh, has the potential to be good for uh, for some yom tov need should be allowed. Says uh, so. Uh, he shouldn't really be liable for uh, for plowing. Why not? Because dam Because let's say you go and you slaughter a chicken or a bird and you need to do kisuyadam. 
as part of the uh, part of the shechita on Yom Tov. So he's going to use it for that. So why don't you say that he's allowed to uh, dig up the dirt because he's going to use it for kisui adam, right? And Rashi says that, and there's an interesting uh, there's there's an interesting discussion of like how exactly that could be that he's allowed to uh, dig out of the ground for the sake of the mitzvah of kisui adam. That uh, you know, it's uh, it's like dochelotas. I think there's a there's a tosafot here that uh, talks about it. Um, uh, right, he says. It, 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 uh, he says, yeah. But he says, what about that? It would seem like it's saying that the positive mitzvah covering the blood should override the negative mitzvah yom tov. But we generally don't say that about yom tov. Um, but in any case, the point is that it could have a purpose. It could have a function on yom tov itself. So why are you saying the charisha should be liable? But we're talking about where he's where the what he's digging is hard rocks. So since it's hard earth, it's hard rocks. Uh, you can't use that for kiswa yadam. So it wouldn't have any function on Yom Tov. Okay, so what about uh, you could grind it up and make it into dirt? It says, You're not allowed to grind things up on Yom Tov, so that wouldn't be allowed. Right? So you could do it in a way with, with a shinui. Just do it in a way that is not the normal way, not the typical way. And if you do it that way, you'll uh, you'll be able to um, you'll be able to uh, uh, use it for kisui adam. So therefore, since it has a function on yom tov, say that the function on yom tov puts aside the uh, uh, the prohibition of the of the plowing, since you had the potential to use it for mitzvah. So it says bitzun ma. So it must be talking about a type of earth that is crumbly and dry, and therefore will not be able to function. As a um, as a kisui uh, hadam either, so okay, so you're telling me that, that that type of dirt is good for plowing, is good for planting. Remember, this, we also have to fit in the kilaim here. We also have to have planting it. it. Says okay, we'll we'll construct the okay, the top layer was bad dirt, the bottom was soft, so the the seeds were on the bottom. That wasn't where he was plowing. He was plowing on the top. So what he actually brought up out of the ground was dirt that couldn't be used for Kisui Yadam, but underneath was good dirt that was th- had things planted. Okay, but so then why don't you say the fact that he gave the made available the soft earth it should be a should release him from the prohibition of plowing because now he has dirt that he can now slaughter a chicken and he can cover the blood. So it says Ela We must be talking about clay, like really hard. Uh, 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 you know, really hard dirt. But then the thing is, with Tina Barzuyal, we have the same problem that you can't, um, that you can't really plant in clay, right? It, that type of thing will, will not work. So it says, no, but ha, so it says, so it says, ha, it says, uh, so the question was, Betina Barzuyahu, Bim Tunta. We're talking about Metunta. So she says that it means that even though you could plant in it, if you try to crumble it into something, it will be like, you know how clay is, it'll be sticky. So you you'll be able to plant in it, but you wouldn't be able to use it for kisui adam. What's the point of this? I I always say I interpret these gemarot. I have you know the way that I think of these gemarot, where they go through a million cases and they try to find it. It's not so much that the gemara is really thinking. Oh, they probably had in mind this highly specific case where there's there's mud and it's just that what the gemara is saying is forget about factoring out. If you can factor out certain issues from the case and just look at the idea in isolation, meaning in a case where he'd be liable for plowing, just forget about, you know, in a case where he would, the, where the dirt would not be usable for Kisui Hadam. That's what it's talking about because it's not dealing with a case where the dirt would be usable. That's, it, it, it's just trying to say whatever that case would be. Now, if it's impossible to imagine such a case, then it wouldn't work. But the idea is that if you can imagine such a case, then what the rabbis really meant was in a case where the dirt wouldn't be usable for anything on Yom Tov. That's all. 
Right, so, the, so it says eight Even if the, yeah. if, the, if the sand would be used for Kishoretam, you're allowed to come and do that? Normally you're not, but that, I mean, that's the first Mishnah Masechet Beta, actually. You come and you dig in the soft earth and you can cover for Kishoretam. So there's a whole, you know, obviously if it's hard earth, it's different. So it's a whole discussion here. The, the Rishonim discussed, like, well, what, what kind of situation we're talking about where you'd be allowed to dig out dirt in order to do Kisui Adam. But, well, it, it's, it's sort of a side point. I don't want to get too distracted by the main point. The main point is that what they're saying is that in terms of the, um, in terms of the prohibition, uh, the issue of ho'il, that is something which has the potential to be used, does that make the current action legal? Or do we look only at the actual purpose of the individual doing it? Right? So we're defending, so Rabbah defended himself. So now, Abaye, Abaye raised an objection. He said, I'm being excluded from this. I like to get into these fights. You know, how come I wasn't invited? This is a very famous case, actually. What if a person takes the Gidanashe, but he wants to be extra religious, so he cooks it in milk on Yom Tov? Okay? So, that, so what happens? So, so he will have the Ochlo, and then he decides to eat it. So, what, what kind of penalties are they going to get? First of all, he did cooking, which is useless, because cooking the Gid and Hashem is not useful for, for eating because you're not allowed to eat it. Right? And he also ate the Gid and Hashem. And he also cooked meat and milk. And he's also going to get makot because he ate the Basab Chalav. And he's also going to be whipped because of lighting the fire. Now that's the key thing, the lighting the fire one, because all the other ones we understand. You're not allowed to eat meat and milk. You're not allowed to cook meat and milk together. You're not allowed to cook purposelessly by cooking the gita nasheh, which is not allowed to be eaten, right? Same would be true if you cook bacon on, on, on Yom Tov. Same thing, right? But the thing is that what about the lighting of the fire? Because lighting of the fire, he could have made a soup on the fire. He could have uh, warmed himself on the fire. He could have done anything. So that's a ho'il. That's a case of ho'il. It, true, his intention was wrong. So Rav Chizda say, well, well Abaye here is saying this supports Rav Chizda because Rav Chizda is saying your intention is what matters, not what you could have done with it. But according to you, Rabbi, that what you could have done of it, with it is what matters. So then how come we don't say that what you could have done of it, with it here um, you know, makes it the, the lighting of the fire? Okay. So it says, Amrin, so it says, V'i Amrinan ho'il ahavalo lechayev, ho'il dechazei leile tzorko. He could just as easily use that fire for anything. Permit it. So, I'm just going to change the case. I'll say, it, take out the Havara, you're right. For lighting the fire, he wouldn't be liable because he could have used that fire for anything. What it was, was that not only was this Gid HaNashe, Gid HaNashe was also Nevela. And since it was Nevela, <coughs> he, he has an additional prohibition, prohibition from that, from eating Nevela. So, But Rabbi Chia said about this Braita that it means that there are Two prohibitions here in eating and three on the cooking. Meaning the cooking involved three. And in our bright that we have the three ones that involve the cooking. The lighting of the fire, the cooking of basabu chalav, and the cooking on Yom Tov. We don't have any other, uh, any other prohibitions of cooking here. You, you want to switch it and make the third prohibition uh, the eating of nevelah. Because cooking of nevelah is no more of a prohibition of anything else. So you want to make it the eating of the nevelah. So, but, uh, but, but that's making it four prohibitions of eating and only two on the cooking. So that, that, but that's not what it's supposed to be. So then it wouldn't be three on the, uh, on the eating and not, uh, it wouldn't be, it, you're adding one, right? So he says, right, you would have, right, you'd have to switch, right, sorry, not four. Right? We'd have to have three on the eating and two on the cooking instead of, instead of two on the eating and three on the cooking, right? Now, rather it must be that it's talking about that the, the wood was mukze. 
So now that has to do with the, with the cooking, because meaning that you're handling the wood that's muktzeh, that's the prohibition. Not that you lit the fire. Lighting the fire could have been fine. But taking wood that is muktzeh, meaning it's designated for building or whatever, something that is not Yom Tov purpose, that is, a, is the, the fifth prohibition. Are you telling me that that's deoraita? Yes. This is the pasuk that they bring it from. Right? That you have to prepare everything you're going to use for Shabbat and Yom Tov. Muktzeh means something that was set aside, not prepared for Shabbat and Yom Tov. So you see, it's in the Torah, and, and it comes under according to Rabbah. That's a pretty radical statement to make. But didn't you yourself say that I asked Rav Chizda, and, some say, and, and according to one version, uh, he said, I asked Ravuna. If a person brought a sheep or a goat or whatever from out in the... Uh, the Efer means it was out in the pasture. It wasn't set aside for use before the Shabbat or the Yom Tov. He brought it in. And he made it the Korban Tamid and Yom Tov. Would it be allowed? Because it's Muktzeh. Because any animal that you... The animal wasn't designated for use, right? So, you said to us about it, this is a pasuk, it's quoting a pasuk from Yechezkel, about the korbanot. So it says, the word seh, and the pasuk is, okay, so it's talking about the things that they had to bring from, uh, for korbanot in Yechezkel. So it says, if, so the word seh says, you can't use a firstborn animal for the korban tamid because it already uh, has its own status of sanctity and it can't be a male or female. According to Rashi, it has to be an animal that is in, that could be male or female, and Bechor can only be male. Okay, and Achat, uh, it says the word Achat, Velo Maaser, which means it can't be Maaser. If something is already set aside as Maaser Behema from your one tenth of your animals, you can't use that as a Korban Tamid. And Minatzon, Velo Palgas. Palgas is an interesting case that really in Korbanot, you can only use animals that are either Ben Shana, which means they are within the first 12 months of their life. Or an ayil, it becomes an ayil, it becomes an adult, starting from 13 months and up. But that during that 13th month, it is neither a young animal nor an, an adult animal, so you can't use it at all. That's called palgas. Okay, so you're not allowed to use that. Minamataim, what does minamataim mean in the pasuk? That if you had wine that was mixed in with orla, and, uh, and then, but it was batel, it was batel in 200, you had 200 against the orla, Wine, so then you would be allowed to use that for the nisachim, for the wine of the Beit Hamikdash. Okay, mikan And as a side point, it says from here you see a remez, you see a hint that two hundred times is what you need to to nullify orla. Now, none of this has anything to do with anything that we're talking about right now. They're just quoting this brayta. Now, where does it get to our point? Mimashke Israel that any korban has to be mimashke Israel from something that could be eaten by a Jew, which means. It has to be something that could be consumed by, is permitted to be consumed by a Jew. That's why you're not allowed to bring uh, wine offerings from Tevil, from untithed produce. Even though what does God care if it's untithed? But since you can't use it, right? Everything belongs to Hashem anyway. What's the difference? The answer is since you can't use it, you can't give it, right? And, and it says, So then the question is, Maybe you'll think you, you can't bring things from a muk, that are muktzeh, like for in this example, this case of this animal that was out in the pasture, and now they want to bring it in and bring it as a korban, but it's muktzeh, maybe you'll think. So it says, It's different because tevel is intrinsically prohibited. It has an intrinsic prohibition, untithed produce. We're only talking about things where there's an intrinsic prohibition. 
actual gufo garamlo, which means that mukta wouldn't be included because it doesn't have an intrinsic prohibition. Now the question is, ela isur davar garamlo. It's a different prohibition. What does that mean? It says we have mat isur mukta deoraita mali isur gufa gufo mali isur davar The only way to understand this is to say that mukta is rabbinic, because otherwise, what difference does it make? What, what do you mean? A, it, a different thing caused the prohibition. What does that mean? It means that the rabbis decreed the prohibition that mukta is rabbinic, and therefore it's not going to interfere with using the animal as a korban. That's what it means. Right? Otherwise, what, what distinction is being made? You also are the one that said that there's no distinction of melachot. So, whereas if a person does five different avot melachot on Shabbat, we learned that for each one of those avot melachot, he brings a separate korban. If he forgot, if he forgot it was Shabbat and he did a lot of melachot, no. But if he forgot the individual melachot, yes. So he, but on Yom Tov, there's no chiluk melachot. So if a person did ten different melachot, he's only, and, and he's only liable for one chilul of Yom Tov. There's no idea of chiluk melachot. So here, and here in this case, we're talking about a guy who cooked but also lit the fire. So it's a double jeopardy on violating Yom Tov. So it can't be for that. So there, therefore, Therefore, what do we have to do? Take out that it was about the lighting. It was, it was using the wood of an Asherah, of idolatry. That's what the, the fifth uh, Makkah was for. It says in the Pasuk, you're not allowed to keep anything from the condemned things of idolatry. That must be it, because you can't get two violations for the lighting of the fire and the cooking on Yom Tov. Okay, so if you're putting that in, you're involving idolatry, there's another prohibition, which is you're not allowed to bring the idolatry into your house to begin with. What about number six? That should be number six that... Says okay, el hekdesh. Rather, it's talking about the guy used wood of hekdesh, wood of the bet hamikdash. Because it says you're supposed to burn all the idolatrous wood, but you're not supposed to burn things that belong to Hashem, right? So therefore, he is he's destroying the uh, the wood that's atzeh hekdesh. That's the prohibition that he committed. And that would be the fifth thing. Not the Havara, not the fact that he actually um, is cooking on Yom Tov or lighting a fire on Yom Tov, but the fact that he is destroying the, uh, the Atzei HaKadosh uh, would be the, the, the violation. So therefore, Rabbah gets out of the problem, basically, or those who are defending Rabbah here, get out of the problem of Ho'il because the, it, the prohibition here isn't the lighting of the fire. If it were the lighting of the fire, we would have a problem because lighting of the fire could be used for anything, including permitted things. So Ho'il should save you. The fact is that, no, it's not about the Yom Tov prohibition. It's about some other prohibition, idolatry, hekdesh, whatever. And therefore, there's no concept of ho'il in that case. And, uh, and really, halachically, um, th- there is machloket vishonim, how we hold, like, about Chizdao Rabbah. There's a whole discussion in the subsequent uh, poskim. But basically, halachically, we do say, we do follow the position of Rabbah. So we say that if a person has, let's say, Eruv Tavshilin, and they want to cook on Yom Tov for Shabbat, they can't cook to the last minute. Because according to Rabbah, it's only permitted because you could have eaten it on Yom Tov. But if you're, but you can't cook to the last minute into like Friday night, right before the second before Friday night, because the the uh, because the only permission biblically is that you are uh, that you have the potential to eat the food on Yom Tov. So even with Eruv Tavshil, it's the case. Whereas according to Rav Chizda, he would say it doesn't matter. As long as all the cooking you're doing is for the sake of Shabbat, even though the last second it's good. So those who hold like Rav Chizda would say it's permitted, but we, are, we follow and uh, you know, uh, are try, try to be strict according to Rabbah. So we always say, make sure to finish the cooking that's done for Shabbat when a Yom Tov falls in Arab Shabbat. But, uh, enough time before Shabbat that there's at least a possibility that some of it could be eaten 
uh, before Shabbat.